1: Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren from Zuma Radio AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told. And you are among friends. Ali Siadatan is standing by and he'll join me for the next two hours. As we discuss the gods of the Bible, you may ask, how could there be gods, plural, in the Bible, when there's only supposed to be one God, capital G, according to Scripture? So were these gods merely idols, or were they actual supernatural beings? We'll get into that in just a moment. Owen Wolf is my technical producer, and we are coming to you live. Uh, But no live stream tonight on the YouTube channel Strange Planet. No live stream on the YouTube channel Strange Planet. Uh, That should return next week, if everything works according to to Hoyle. And next week, uh, actor, comedian, television host, and the only performer to win uh, Emmy Awards for both entertainment and news shows. John Barber will join me in studio. And John is known as one of the hosts of the NBC reality TV series, Real People. Remember that? That ran on uh, NBC back in, I think around 1979 to 84. And uh, he was also the creator and co-producer. But John Barber is also a JFK assassination researcher and one of the only people to interview the late New Orleans district attorney, Jim Garrison, on camera. So John Barber next week for the full two hours live in studio. The gods mentioned in the Old Testament were worshipped by the people of Canaan and the nations surrounding the Promised Land, but were these idols just made-up deities, or did they actually possess supernatural power? Now, many Bible scholars are convinced that that some of these so-called divine beings could indeed do amazing acts because they were demons or fallen angels disguising themselves as gods. In Deuteronomy, it says they sacrificed demons, which are not God, gods they had known. When Moses confronted Pharaoh, the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate some of his miracles, such as turning their staffs into snakes and turning the Nile River into blood. Some Bible scholars attribute those strange deeds to demonic forces. So, let's discuss the gods of the Bible. Ali Siadatan is the founder of Think Again Productions here in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry, shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is to make the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence, keeps agreeing with the Bible tale, from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, angels, and gods. On Google Video, it received over a quarter million views in just nine months. In 1996, Ali completed a master's degree in French language and literature at the University of Toronto. In September of 99, he answered a call and opened a center to minister to urbanites through martial and healing arts, as well as spiritual studies for seekers. Ali has a black belt in Kung Fu and has been training since 1991. He's married and has two wonderful daughters. His research into UFOs has inspired him to write a work of fiction in progress, as well as a second documentary on the rise of the Antichrist titled Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans. Ali Siadatan, welcome aboard, my friend. How are you?
2: Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me, Richard. It's a pleasure to be with you guys tonight.
1: It's great to have you. Um, now, let's just begin uh with a, a very simple question and i mentioned this off the top and that is the the gods mentioned in the bible were they merely idols we were warned the very first commandment you know, do not uh, worship any other god before me are we talking about idols or were they actual supernatural supernatural beings
2: well in the biblical text the way that the bible's narrative addresses these beings it talks about them um, as though they are real. For instance, uh, one of the titles of God himself, he, he, as it appears, let's say, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, and in other places as well, it's one of the titles of God, he's referred to as the God of gods and Lord of lords. Um, and so in Hebrew, it's El of the Elohim and Adon of the Adonim. And you think to yourself, well, how could God be the leader of mythological beings? How could he be enshrined, his title be presented um, as one who is in fact uh, the leader of a group of mythological beings? And then there are Countless passages like, you know, the Ten Commandments that you mentioned, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But there are many passages where God addresses these other beings. Um, You mentioned Moses and and Egypt. For instance, the Exodus passage uh, in Exodus chapter 12, I believe it's also verse 12, it says that uh, God will come into the land of Egypt and he will judge the gods of Egypt. Uh, The power that was behind the Pharaoh, the power that was um, holding his people uh, hostage, and so we're looking at the way that the text speaks about these beings, uh, there are thousands of verses to study. But I can tell you, since I have overwhelmingly, it's very clear that God addresses the gods of the nations in the text itself, as though they are real beings.
1: Right, and in uh, there's a, a passage in Deuteronomy where the Israelites are forbidden from worshipping the sun, the moon, and the stars, which is kind of on the surface. That's kind of a strange passage. So what is he saying there, worshipping the sun, the moon, and the stars?
2: Well, the stars were an idiom for you know these spiritual beings in the ancient world's mind. Um, even in the Bible, uh, the, it is an idiom for angels. Uh, it is used, uh, for instance, in the book of Revelation. It says that the dragon took one-third of the stars with him, with his tail, and anyone reading that, there's a complete agreement uh, that this refers to angels that went on his side. Um, so in that sense, it, it, it is kind of speaking in the language of the time of Moses, uh, uh, the mindset uh, of the time of Moses. It, it wasn't just worshipping you know, the sun per se, or the moon per se, or the stars per se. But the, the, the gods, if you will, that governed these mighty, incredible things, uh, the spiritual forces that were identified by them is what is referenced in the language of, you know, uh, Moses' time. Um, so that's what I think he's referring to.
1: Right. And, and so these gods, small g, plural, These were the fallen angels, correct, that rebelled against God, led by Lucifer.
2: Well, that's an interesting question because the term fallen angel does not appear anywhere in the entire Bible. It is a term of Christian culture. In the Bible, these beings are called the sons of God. And they're also called the gods of the nations. These are the two titles given to these beings. And as the story unfolds, we see that they come under the judgment of God. We see that they uh, create empires that are to be hostile to God's purposes as it expresses itself through Israel. And then there are clues that we are given, for instance, in Deuteronomy Chapter 32, verse 17, which I believe you quoted at the beginning of the show, they sacrificed unto demons, which were no God, um, to gods they knew not. And Paul, who is also a, a, essentially a Jewish teacher, in the letter that he writes to, to the Corinthian church, he quotes this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. He says that you know the Gentiles uh, are sacrificing to devils. Or, or, or some translation will say the Greeks uh, are sacrificing to devils um, and 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 not to God. And he says, you know I don't want you to partake in those rituals in the marketplace where you know they're, 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 if you were in Corinth and you were involved in the in, in the in the trade of gold and silver in the market, there might be these you know deities that are sacrificed to you and and you want to do that with the rest of the people in your section of the marketplace because, You know it's kind of politically incorrect not to, and so he's saying, well, I don't want you to to engage because these gods are actually the devil. So we get these clues um, that there's animosity, and then there are other passages such as Daniel chapter ten that talks about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. There is, you know, the, the the passage where Jesus and Satan have a conversation, and Satan says that dominion has been given to him over all the kingdoms of the earth and these kingdoms answer to these beings. And so you 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 realize as the text unfolds that these sons of God or the gods of the nations are in fact hostile. And then the book of Revelation comes at the very end of the biblical narrative and brings this clarification that in fact one-third of these angels have gone along with the rebellion. Uh, and so the picture completes itself that these characters – that we're reading about in all of these passages that are behind the nations are in fact what christians would call fallen angels yes in that sense they become those characters as the text weaves them into its narrative that is the position that they will occupy yes
1: and at, at what point in in uh, ancient history was this deal struck that god said okay You guys, you fallen angels, you guys, (laughs) you fallen angels, you will have dominion over all of this land, but Israel is mine. When did God make that overture?
2: Um, I would have to say that it occurred uh, at the Tower of Babel um, in uh, Genesis chapter 11. Until then, the nations were united as a single family, um, before the flood, there was this massive uh, uh, pull into the sphere of these beings called the sons of God, um, and and you know they had their offsprings uh, uh, that are called the Nephilim in Hebrew, the giants in in, uh, in English, um, and uh, this led to uh, the end of an entire world order. Um, However, uh, for instance, let's say in in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. So after the flood, there is again an attempt uh, of massive rebellion. It seems that Nimrod... Even though the biblical text doesn't, you know, record all the details, it seems that Nimrod essentially makes the argument that, you know, God is the bad guy. He de- he destroyed the world with a flood. He destroyed our ancestors, but these other beings, they um, they were kind of with us, and so there is a rebellion that he uh, he creates a post-flood rebellion, which is related to these beings, where he wants to establish a world order. He's kind of uh, the first post-flood emperor, and he has these beings behind him, and the challenge is directly against God. and And the reason for that is because man was made in the image of God. The angels were present. It, the story doesn't essentially make sense if you cut it into pieces. Uh, it, we are part of a cosmic tale from the very beginning, and that's why these beings have been on the earth and continue to come and go. and People see them actually all the time. We just have new terms for them in in our culture. However, um, God comes with his council of angels and the humanity is divided. The languages are confused and the nations are born, essentially, at that point. And so that becomes the moment where I think that this whole division uh, occurs. And that's why the next chapter, chapter 12, is the chapter that introduces the character of Abraham, who is going to have a different Classification and God is going to, um, you know, separate Israel for Himself, for His purposes, ultimately to bless the nations and to call them back to Himself. But it begins a process, and the nations are given into the hand of these beings that set up worship over them. And this is the origin of polytheism.
1: Okay, but God allowed these other deities to rule, right? I mean, he could have stopped it, but he allowed it. And did he not sort of keep an eye on, on them? Did he not sort of give, lay down the law, read the right act and said something like, all right, you, you're going to rule over the rest of the world, but you must, you must do it in a just manner
2: yeah, I think that the laws of the kingdom of God are clear to these beings who are more ancient than us. We're just discovering God essentially. These beings have known Him longer than we uh, than the human races ex- have existed. Um, but there is an ambition. We, we read that ambition in the scroll of Isaiah concerning you know the heart of Satan, that he wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to be the first principle of the created order. And these beings share in his ambition. So instead of, you know, leading the nations to worship God, they they deflect that worship to themselves. Um, and more than that, they give laws, which are the foundations of, uh, I guess, the religions that they get they hand down. They create priesthoods, they create temples, they set up kings and kingdoms. They essentially do all the things that it seems that God ultimately is interested in doing. But they perverted. Um, Let me just uh, finish the answer by reading a passage from the book of Psalms. Um, It says, God takes his stand, God takes his stand in the assembly of God. He judges among the gods. It says that. It says that God has an assembly, and we see that in the book of Kings because he questions his assembly concerning a matter.
1: This is like a divine council,
2: right? It's like a divine council. And then it says that he judges among the gods. And then it continues, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? As it comes forward, it says, All of earth's foundations are shaken. I said, You are gods, and you are all the sons of the Most High. Yet you will die like men, and will fall like any of the princes. It kind of perhaps is a judgment over these beings, because as you suggest, they, they had their own agenda, and that is what they implemented uh, on the earth. Uh, man was cast out, out of this great kingdom of gods, and so were these beings. And for a moment in history, we found ourselves on the same side of the fence, but God had a plan to bless the families of the earth in the seed of Abraham. And that is the story of the Messiah and the redemption, uh, which is at the heart of, of the Gospels.
1: Ali Siadatan is uh, my guest, and he is with Think Again Productions, thinkagainproductions.com. You can you can stream the video there for free, correct? Yes, absolutely. And that's UFOs, Angels, and Gods. And uh, you have some other things that we'll talk about, a newsletter and so forth. Uh, but I I want to get back to this idea of when the, 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 the these lesser deities, these gods with a small g, uh, were given dominion over these other lands. So were they ruled directly by, let's say, uh, Lucifer and, and his minions? Were they ruled directly or did they appoint, did they appoint humans to rule and, and uh, they sort of oversaw that rule?
2: Uh, yeah, the, the answer to that question is very clear. So, so if you kind of look at history, we see that the, all civilizations attribute their genesis to the gods. That is the story of all the civilizations of the Earth. Let me just take you a quick to, to a quick kind of show. It, it, let's look at it from a bird's eye view. Um, you, you've got um, uh, people who are living um, as hunter-gatherers. There is the family of Adam. You, you know, they're farmers. They have domesticated animals. Um, but suddenly, from the south of Mesopotamia, from the north of Africa and from kind of the uh, parts of Persia, what is today Persia, uh, these cities begin to emerge, but especially from the south of Mesopotamia. And there is what is called an urban revolution, which means that the way that society is organized shifts from being around clans and families to around these priest kings. The, the, the Mesopotamians called them NC or Lugala. Um, They were these priest kings that represented the gods. So codes of civilization are handed down. Um, The the most recent example of this is the birth of Islam. Um, The the Arabs are living in a peninsula, um, surrounded on one side, the Persian Empire, on the other side, the Greek Empire. Civilizations much older than themselves, literate, sophisticated... The, um one of these uh, gentlemen in Arabia says that he's receiving a you know a revelation from his God and suddenly um, the, the Arabs undergo a, a profound transformation as this revelation downloads, they now have a world view they have an understanding of how to organize their culture, but they also seem to have some sort of a spiritual force behind them because within a hundred years they conquer, the mighty Persian Empire, and the Greek world um, in 100 years. I mean, the only thing that's left is Byzantium or Constantinople itself, which eventually falls in 1453. But it's really incredible if you read the accounts of these battles and these victories, and it's like, how did this happen? Now, if you go back in history, you read the story of Moses. Moses goes up on a mountain. He receives a code of law. He comes down. The Hebrew nation is born... There's 613 commandments that govern every aspect of life. There's a, a prophecies, a relationship with a deity that is going to change the world. I mean, the Ten Commandments of Moses are still encoded in our laws here in the new world. Ali, i got to
1: jump in here. We're going to take a, a time out. We'll come back and pick up on that point. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, Gods of the Bible. Stay with us.
0: Truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Saratt from Zoomer Radio. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Saratt from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty.
1: Now, I would ask that you keep your powder dry until the second hour, uh, and then you can call in. Just listen in on the uh, the conversation, Elieciatan, with us as we discuss gods of the Bible, and uh, then, as I say, at the top of the uh, the next hour. We'll open up the phone, loon, uh, phone lines, and you can uh, you can weigh in, and we'd love to hear from you. So, Ali, the, one of the the interesting things is so you had this Sumerian civilization, I guess, somewhere between thirty five hundred and three thousand BC, and just uh, out of nowhere, this we had this sudden surge in population. We had these cities of Ur and Uruk, and and uh, the development of uh, well, even the you know the the. The structure of the civilization. You had libraries. You had domesticated um, plants and animals. Uh, and you know, where elsewhere in the world, people were still, you know, living in mud huts. It was it, it's startling. Uh, yes, but that so, makes well, that makes sense in what light of your saying.
2: Uh, well, that, it, when when you look at uh, the archaeologists that you know when digging in Mesopotamia, starting in the mid nineteenth century. When they came to the final city, Eridu, and you can read about this, uh, you can Google Eridu, E-R-I-D-U, and read its history on Wikipedia. It is the oldest known city, um, and they discovered that that city had temples, had structure, uh, had mud bricks. It It had civilization, and they were baffled. No matter how old the digs were, how ancient the cities were, they were fully civilized. And now the question was, where did this knowledge come from? So they turned to the Mesopotamian tablets because these guys were literate, they had writing, and they explained their own history. And they said in these tablets that these beings that they referred to as gods, even though they are just angels and they are fallen, um, these beings gave them a series of, 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 of knowledge. Uh, which is called me that's what they called it me in sumerian in, in uh, semitic languages is called parshu uh, which ironically sounds a lot like parsha which is the scrolls of the bible in hebrew uh, like these bodies of heavenly knowledge you can even read it on a wikipedia there's a list of all the me and so there were four cities in the south of mesopotamia and each one received a different you know gifts of knowledge For instance, you mentioned the city of uh, Eruk, where uh, the Queen of Heaven, she's called one of these beings who's uh, mentioned later in the Bible as well, and has an extensive career in human history. She has a temple there, and she gives away the knowledge of writing itself. A group of humans are set aside; they're called the scribes. Why? Because writing records the laws of the gods, and what are these laws? They are the codes of the Matrix that will now govern, you know, organize everything. So. And these archaeologists were baffled because now they had to believe that civilization, the knowledge that is at the basis of civilization, that has carried us all the way to this this day, mathematics and astronomy and medicine and metallurgy and writing and religion and worship and kingship and music, all of these bodies of knowledge that are the foundation and the pillars of civilization have carried us from the cradle all the way to the shores of California, that these bodies of knowledge were handed down according to our ancestors. And not only do the Mesopotamians say this, but all the civilizations maintain this. So does the Bible. But what happened was that as this knowledge came out, and these guys were like, what do we do? Can we even believe in this? There was a man, and his name was Gordon Child. Gordon Child was an Australian transplant to Britain. He was a flamboyant man, a passionate marxist, and what he did, you know, he used to always, you know, have little sayings from Stalin that he would put through, you know, and when he spoke. But he was also one of the most influential archaeologists of the past century. What he did is he wove together his colleagues' disconnected facts into an overarching intellectual scheme um and the most famous of it arose in the 1920s he basically said guys guys nothing was handed down we all know this is just a bunch of myth and the bible is myth i'm a marxist this is what happened guys these guys were hunter gatherers okay one of them one day one morning had a coup de genie he had like a moment of epiphany and he discovered farming and he told his buddies okay well, we're going to farm then they all got together and they started farming and because they weren't running after their food, they had more time on their hand, so they started thinking. And as they started thinking, they started talking to each other, and voila, they gave birth to mathematics and you know architecture and all of these things. That's actually what happened. And these archeologists, um, many of them didn't go for it, but in, somehow his idea became the one that was taught to, through the university system and the school system it matched more uh, the spirit of the secular age. Um, and so we were raised, even the people that read the Bible ha- read it from the perspective that these beings are mythological because that is how our culture was shaped to see this past. However, our collective ancestors, all of them, from you know China to Egypt and Greece and Rome to the actual words of the Bible into the Old and New Testament collectively have always spoken about these beings as though they were real. This is just a new idea, actually, that they were not real. This is a, a, a 20th century idea.
1: Well, the other theory about the origin of civilization in Sumeria uh, comes from Zechariah Sitchin and others, and the idea of the Anunnaki, the group of deities, uh, and, and they, they came to this planet from a distant, uh, distant planet, Nibiru, uh and uh they created a human alien hybrid race of slaves uh, and uh and and this this creation uh myth is uh, supposedly was translated by Sitchin and others on these sumerian cuneiforms that you can see in the uh the London Museum so this ancient alien theory of course right. is so popular now so how do we how do you respond to the this idea that, that the Anunnaki were not fallen angels; they were, they were visitors from a distant, a distant planet.
2: Well, uh, I, I look at kind of the source and I ask myself uh, which one has more credibility. So, Zachary Sitchin, Eric von Daniken, and a few other people, but especially Sitchin was focused on Mesopotamia these guys are ancient astronaut theorists and they came up with the idea that, wait a second, there's UFOs today and all of these cultures are recording these, you know, beings from elsewhere um, and, oh, there are UFOs in the past. And then they came up with the idea of the alien visitation and Sitchin has his own, you know, sub-theory regarding this 12th planet and all that. Um, Fine. I mean, I guess you you can go with anything you want. Life is a mystery. We don't even know where we are or how we got here. I tend to, tr- essentially, I've come to trust that that the, the Bible is the actual words uh, of God, meaning that w- regardless of all the conspiracies and, and uh, theories and all the bloody history uh, of the Catholic Church and, and the Church as a whole and, 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 you know, whatever happened before, the actual Bible, uh, when you study it, you realize that its prophecies are very profound and are fulfilled time and time again. When you look at its history, you realize that the cities that it mentions are dug up by archaeologists, and of course, when you relate to its central character, the Messiah, you do receive the spirit of the Most High. Your life is changed, and you realize, wow, this is actually true. God has not left us in darkness, and he has left the record um, of history and and of, of the true nature of reality, so we can understand who these beings are, so we will not be deceived. We understand how history took shape. Okay, so the nations were divided. They were given to these beings, and I'll read that passage in a moment. And God chose Israel, and that started a whole narrative that led all the way to the time of Christ. Then the Holy Spirit was poured on the nations, and that's why the polytheism was pushed back, and the knowledge of God was spread once again. So once you realize that the source material, that this book is very credible, and it takes some time, then you say, okay, instead of going with the thoughts of some gentleman from New York City who lived a few years on this earth uh, and came up with his own wild theory, I'm going to go with the actual words of God and use that as the measure of reality and truth.
1: So getting back to Sitchin and the, the Anunnaki uh, gods of Sumeria, who, and he believed that these were extraterrestrials, so we have these seven Sumerian gods, Enlil, who's later known as El- El- Elil, and uh, uh, Enki, and Ninhursag, and Nana, and Utu, and Inanna, and all of these. Are, are these, we're, we're coming up on a break, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you to answer These this are after the, the sons break. of God. These are the sons of God. These are not Anunnaki from another planet, from the 12th well, planet.
2: Anunnaki means, I mean, I like this translation, Anunnaki, I get it. You know, he says those who from heaven to earth came. I get it. But that's what sons of God is as well. These beings that came from, you know, uh, the realm of God and angels. And even their children, Nephilim, comes from the word Nephal, which means kind of a mixture of heaven and earth.
1: Okay, we're going to take a time out. uh, Ali, hold on. We'll, uh, we'll get back to that point. Ali Siadatan, sorry, Ali Siadatan, gods of the Old Testament, when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. My name is Richard Sarrett. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if
0: someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at
1: 1-866-740-4740. Ali Siadatan stays with us for the full two hours, and we are talking about gods of the Old Testament, gods of the Bible, and we were talking about the Sumerians and the civilization that that, uh, sprang forth seemingly out of nowhere somewhere around 3,500 years ago. And this has given rise to, of course, uh, the the theory of the ancient alien theory, uh, uh, Zechariah, Sitchin, and others talking about the Anunnaki. And we were talking about the gods, uh, Enlil and um, uh, Enki uh, and others. Now, are they mentioned specifically in the Bible?
2: Um, some of them are. Uh, the Bible, depending on you know which part you read it it it's uh, addresses a different culture of the time of the prophet so molech is for instance mass mentioned damuz or tumuzi is mentioned inanna or the queen of heaven is mentioned shemesh is mentioned who is known as Shams or apollo by the greeks the sun god um and the nahash or you know the serpent himself is mentioned and he you know, wears different masks. I I tend to believe that he he likes the character of the sky god. He's Enlil uh, to the Mesopotamians, uh, Marduk to the Babylonians, Zeus to the Greeks, Jupiter to the Romans. That's uh, I, I think the uh, you know the one that uh, is the leader. So there's a few that are mentioned by name, depending on which prophet's book you read, depending on which culture, because. As as the cultures move, they change, the names change. And the names change because the idea is that this particular pantheon um, and the head of the pantheon has now placed its scepter of rule in this nation, in this culture. It has chosen this uh, group of people to become the next empire. And so they... Uh, the names uh, um, reflect that culture. Uh, it, it's a it's a form of bonding. It's you know he is now of our culture. We are now of him, and so we see the sceptre of rule starts in the south of Mesopotamia, and these city states emerge. And the last of the city states is Rome. Um, and each time the sceptre of rule moves, the city state that inherits it uh, grows to become an empire. Uh, you look at, for instance, you know, when when this messianic movement that eventually was called Christianity spreads from Israel into the Greco-Roman world, um, there's a problem because these guys believe that the gods are behind the empire. I mean, people don't know this, but a lot of the senators of Rome were priests of Zeus and of other gods. They, they were, Then they were also acting out in the political sphere because the political sphere in Rome... And the religious sphere, the spiritual sphere, the connection to these beings was very closely knit together. But now there are all these Roman citizens who are denying the worship of these beings. They're refusing to sacrifice to them because now they're worshiping the one God of Israel and the sacrifice is, you know, Jesus. And this poses a problem. And uh, that's what, you know, brings about the periods of, of Christian persecution. The most famous is Diocletian who is the last of the persecutors, the tenth one, and he kills more Christians by himself than all the other persecutions before him combined. But what's interesting is that this is how the whole thing begins. Diocletian sends a messenger to the oracle of Apollo at Delphi. And Apollo is the sun god, and, and he has a huge history, uh, and I can talk more about him if you want, him. So he goes to the, uh, the oracle of Apollo Delphi, and the question is, what do I do with the Christians? That's the question the emperor asks. And the answer that Apollo gives is that the Christians are the enemies of the gods. And with that answer, Diocletian suspends the civil rights of all Christians. Um, he arrests them, he burns the Bibles, and he tortures them until they die or sacrifice to the gods. But the command comes from Apollo. It kind of shows you that this struggle as, as the spirit is pushing through into this new world, uh, a new, new monotheistic age is, is coming of, uh, to, to birth. We see that these beings, you know, are fighting back. And they continue, of course, to this day. Uh, they, they, there's a plan uh, moving forward. You know, there's a right. final confrontation.
1: Yes. So, Zeus... Uh, and or Jupiter in the Roman yes. world and these in yes. the, the pantheon at a certain yes. point, though, were they in direct communion, uh, communication oh, with okay, right. with the leaders? Were they yes. actually ruling uh, yes. here on Earth or was it done sort of? Uh,
2: OK, yeah, go it ahead. Was the, so the rulers originally in the south of Mesopotamia, they were both priests and kings. Um, As the power structure moves forward, the king and the priest separate from each other. Um, So the priest would receive, you know, revelation. Uh, For instance, the altar of Zeus uh, in Pergamum, which was uh, the most important altar of uh, of Zeus in the Greco-Roman world. Um, there, There was kind of a place that the priest would go and he would offer a sacrifice. And then he would go up the mountain and there the spirit of Zeus would come over him and then he would receive communication and then he would communicate that to the emperor for instance if if that was the nature of the communication um, they, they, they they also had their offsprings and i know it's hard to believe because it's so far fetched from the way that you know we have been taught to understand the world but they also had their offsprings that ruled for them they had bloodlines starting um, in, in the very beginnings of western civilization there was bloodlines that went back to these uh, gods, and these bloodlines formed royal families. Um, Some would say that these bloodlines still are in the place of uh, wealth and rulership into our age, so that's another way they influenced the world. Uh, They had offsprings, they had priests, they were in direct communication. Even today, I hear stories because I research this phenomenon, which is now somehow change shapes. We don't call them the gods. We call them the aliens. Uh, but there are very important people that say these you know beings appeared in their bedroom and told them to do this, make this decision. CEOs of companies, rulers of nations. It's this is something. Yes, there's lots of contact between these beings and the human world in many different ways, yes.
1: All right, we'll uh, take another time out, come back, uh, more conversation with Ali Siadatan, Gods and the Bible, and just a reminder, top of the hour, we'll open up the phone lines, take questions and comments. Stay right where you are. Keeping an eye on the new
0: world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free
1: 1-866-740-4740. Just before the break, alley, we were talking about a piece of uh, video that appears in your documentary as well. And this was taken from the International Space Station. It showed two UFOs that seemed to be engaged in kind of a cosmic or intergalactic dogfight. Uh, and um, and, and it, it looks all the world like, well, in, in the context that you're laying out, angel, an angel and a demon, or not a demon, but a fallen angel uh, piloted craft fighting it out. So this is going on in the heavens right now as we speak.
2: Yeah, and the word heavens, by the way, in the Bible refers to anything three inches off the ground all the way to into outer space. Uh, all of that is heavens. Heavens means air, uh, and the area where the sun and moon and stars are, all of that is heavens. Shemaim in Hebrew, Uranus in Greek. And earth is the solid thing we stand on. So if you say there's a battle in the heavens, um, I know with, because of our Christian spiritualized way of thinking, we assume like this other place. But in the biblical text, it means like the sky. In, in fact, if you look at the Bible, it says the birds that you know fly in mid-heaven. Well, it, we know the birds fly in the sky because that's what the word heavens means in the Bible. Anything three inches off the floor all the way into the temple at the heart of time and space. All of it is called heavens. And then there's the earth, which is the rock upon which we stand. So these guys could be fighting in the heavens, which means in the sky, which means where the sun and the moon are, which means maybe another dimension. I don't know, but I can only go as far as I can see, right?
1: Right. Uh, let's take a call. Tony's in Brampton. Tony, good morning.
3: Good morning, Richard. Uh, great to be on the show. A little bit nervous, but uh, here goes. um. Ever since the secularism and the elites have taken over our educational system, um, and we know who um, who who they worship and that 's probably Zeus and satan himself um, and he is the father of lies and unfortunately, as a result of that, um, our children are all being taught lies, everything from evolution to climate change to even the Apollo missions because really did they actually go to the moon that's a, that's a big question. another big concern that I do also have. Is actually the name of our Savior himself. I mean, a man has changed his name from Yeshua to Jesus Christ to anglicize the Hebrew name, but if you were going to anglicize it, wouldn't it probably more proper to have gone to Joshua? And I'm wondering whether maybe the name Jesus sounds a form of uh, maybe Zeus worship? I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh, that's Uh, interesting. I
1: never thought of that. Great yeah, questions, I'm, Tony. Well, let's okay. get Ali in here. Uh, the Anglicized version of Yeshua, shouldn't it be Joshua?
2: Well, that's a good question. So the way I understand it is that um, the Greeks didn't like to have A at the end of masculine names. Like in Italian, you have never an A at the end of a masculine name. So they dropped the A. So Yeshua, which means that you know God saves, uh, becomes Yeshu but they didn't have the word sh, so they went with s, so became you know yesu and then the, in latin they instead of ye they used j like in some spanish countries you hear yo uh, in some spanish countries you hear jo so Yeshua became yesu yesu and then the ye became j and became jesu. so it's basically it's the greek way of pronouncing a hebrew word Okay. Uh, when when you say Jesus you're still actually saying Yeshua but you're just pronouncing it in in Greek okay. pronunciation but the word hasn't actually changed.
3: Okay. It just my concern is whenever man gets his, his hands on anything um I, I'm a little bit concerned by that. And if God well, himself no. said that his son's name is Yeshua and, you know and then it's not God that changes it to Jesus that's my only concern but um, but thank you for the for the answer.
1: Great question Tony. Thank you for checking in. Thank you. Uh, getting back yes. to the the UFO uh and the alien abduction phenomenon. I want to talk about that for a right. moment because people some people who are abducted or who have let's say contact uh they report, you know, something very uplifting and positive and then others it's a very uh, negative uh contact. Uh so Explain that in in the context of the fallen angels.
2: Um, The heart of the UFO phenomenon is the abduction phenomenon, and the heart of the abduction phenomenon is the creation of hybrids and and now their infiltration into human culture. Um, It appears, again, as though this is just a modern phenomenon, but the creation of hybrids, is as old as history itself. We have the age before the flood where, you know, some very important hybrids, Gilgamesh, for instance, he's mentioned in the Book of Giants, and he's also mentioned in the Tale of Gilgamesh, um, and the other ones as well. The Greeks called them the Titans. Um, Everyone, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, everyone talked about them. And so this is an ancient phenomenon, and the Bible then sheds light as to what's really going on uh, the sons of God, which are, you know, an idiom for fallen angels, have sexual relations with the daughters of Adam. And some of these uh, women uh, welcomed this, meaning that they saw it as a, as a way of climbing the hierarchy. Instead of, you know, uh, uh, having relations with humans, they were having relations with these angels. So this was a form of promotion. And there was an ambition uh, also in the part of some of the women. And we see that in the abduction phenomenon today where some women see it as a deep intrusion, and men as well, and they hate it. And that's why they call themselves abductees. But others have come to see this as a sign of their chosenness, that they are being chosen to usher in the next humanity, the new race. And they call themselves contactees, because they don't like the term abductees. They're like, you know, we welcome this. So that is also a recurring theme, that some uh, women actually think this is a wonderful thing. And this is this has been in the past, and this is also happening today. So that's the pattern. But it is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy spoken by Daniel the prophet. Um, in, 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 in Daniel chapter 2, there's the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Gentile world powers are mentioned. In the very end, it says, And when you swear you saw iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another. And so it talks about the mingling of these seeds with the seed of men in the context of the final empire and at the very end of it. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So I think that um, there's going to be uh, hybrids at, at the very helm of the final world empire Taken from ten powers, and we know that three of them are removed uh, to make room for, you know, the little horn, the one who is the leader of them all. So there'll be one guy and, and seven followers, and these guys will be the ones that declare war against God and His angels. And there are many passages that talk about how they will speak boldly about these heavenly matters. And you think, why would they do that in our secular age? Well, once you kind of look at it from the point of view of an alien invasion, that The second coming may be sold that way. And that these guys are our helpers. They're going to help us with the environment. I mean, uh, you look at the alien abduction phenomenon, there's a lot of talk about the environment decades ago before the environment became so important, such a hot topic issue, where these guys say to the abductees, there's going to be environmental disasters and we're going to be here to help you. You look at that very famous story that Johnny Mack from Harvard went to Africa when this school in Africa had this massive alien sightings, all these kids. All right. in, in
1: Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe in the in 90s. In
2: Zimbabwe, yeah. and he goes there, and he's talking to one of the kids, and she's going on this whole environmental rant, and he says to her, did you have these ideas before? And she says, no, one of these beings looked into my eyes, and all these ideas poured into my head. And so you, I, I, I've been following this as a researcher. That wow, well, I think the environmental issue is going to be a hot topic, and because these beings are pushing for it, they have an agenda to utilize it as a global threat, and they're going to offer solutions that endear themselves to us. And I have seen this thing grow and grow and grow and grow. And there was a march, I think yesterday or today, of all these youth around the world. And but their undertow, the hidden undertow, is this influence in this agenda. So, I think they're going to uh, position themselves as the saviors of mankind and present the second coming of the Lord as an alien invasion and this is how uh, they're going to you know drag the world into war uh, with these beings with women with God as angels and yes, I think that this prophecy in Daniel is suggesting that the helm of this final structure are these hybrids
1: Is it possible though that some people who are having let's say positive uh, contact experiences are not dealing with fallen angels, they're actually dealing with angels.
2: Well, there's a kind of a modus operandi in the Bible. Well, The angels are the servants of God, and the what is happening in this phenomenon where the people are being abducted, hybrids are being created and all that stuff, this is definitely fits with the narrative of the fallen angels in the Bible. They're creating these uh, uh, aberrations, which are always destroyed in the Bible, they're killed, you know, left and right and center, whether it's the battles with Abraham, whether it's the battles with the sons of Israel, whether it's the flood, whether it's David killing Goliath, and whether it's you know the judgment of the second coming. So these beings are not to exist. When people have actual contacts with angels, first of all, we are told that we should test every spirit that come to us and ask them, who do you believe Jesus is? And and if they confess him as their king and and God is sovereign over them, that's an important sign. And then w- w- the way they interact with us and the knowledge they bring to us is in harmony with the words of God. And for instance, they never want to be worshipped. Each time a character in the Bible, you know, is compelled to worship one of these angels, the angel says, you know, don't worship me. Worship God, because I'm just like a creature like you." So there, there's a testing process and understanding of the narrative in order to identify, you know, the behavior. I would say that most of this phenomenon is fallen angelic. If, if some of these UFOs are coming, and and for instance, there might be Michael and his angels holding the fort until God commands them to stand down around Israel, which you know has a purpose in history, and Satan has been working very hard, starting with the Holocaust and all that, to stop it from unfolding, because it is the end of his reign and the reign of these beings and the nations. Uh, it's heralded by the return of Israel to this land, and so... Um, Michael and his angels might be here, and they may be holding the fort down, um, and and other angels may have you know purposes. Like for instance, one of the people I interviewed, Barry Downing, he says that you know angels were appearing over the Soviet Union and over America, uh, turning uh, nuclear silos on and off to the point where both empires felt that they needed to talk to each other. There may be a threat bigger than them, and that's how they came up with even this you know red phone. So. They they, they, they they you know shepherded the world towards peace while the enemy was perhaps shepherding it towards uh, destruction. Fascinating. In order to
1: Ali, got. Got to jump in here. We'll take a timeout. Come back. Get to some more calls, more questions about gods in the Bible with Ali Siadatan. Think Again Productions. thinkagainproductions.com, The website. Stand by.
0: Exploring theories, uncovering facts. And offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416 360 0740
1: or toll free at 1 866 740 4740. And if you like this program, I think you'll enjoy my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. And new episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and you can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com Alicia Aditan stays with us for a, a spell yet as we continue to delve into uh, gods in the bible uh, and uh, now we're talking about the the modern day UFO phenomenon it's interesting we, we were talking about the the, the, the importance of um, uh, of Israel in history and uh, Perhaps then no coincidence that the modern day UFO phenomena really began about almost exactly the same time as the rebirth of the, the modern of modern day Israel
2: 1947-48. Yes, absolutely. That's a very good observation. Starting in 1947-48 with Kenneth Arnold, it appeared as though UFOs had arrived. It's called the UFO flaps where different parts of the world began to experience mass UFO sightings, um, and so it appeared to the consciousness that these guys had just arrived. I had a UFO sighting in the deserts of Iran, uh, and very, very close, and the one that I saw was went into the ground rather than you know, come out of it, and reminded me of the words of the prophet Daniel about the prince of Persia, um, who was at war uh, with this angel who had come from heaven to bring a message to daniel of scriptural importance and i thought wow have these guys just arrived or have they been here for a very long time and they're just reinventing themselves and yes this massive uh, phenomenon coincides uh, with the return of israel to the land as god moves history forward according to his announced plans the other side you know counters it with its own moves and that's I think they're preparing, they realize this is it, and they're preparing for the second coming. Uh,
1: Getting back to this, what's been known as the alien-human hybrid program, people like Dr. David Jacobs, who you've interviewed a number of times, as have I, uh, he was, I believe he was part of this Roper poll that was conducted in 1991, I think. Bud Hopkins was was part of that, Uh, maybe John Mack. And they sent out this massive questionnaire uh, and trying to establish you know how many people may have been abducted by by aliens and I think right. the number they came up with it, just in the United States was four million uh, so if four million individuals were part of an alien abduction program or or an, uh, an alien human hybrid program um Going back to 1991, I mean, one has to wonder, and this is this is a worldwide phenomenon. We are told, uh, how many of us might, in fact, have? Well, some might call it alien uh, DNA or alien blood. How many of or or fallen angel blood? I mean, how many of us is it possible?
2: Well, I think that that the um, the uh, parable of Jesus concerning the wheat and tares, he says that. God planted his seed in the garden, and while he was sleeping, whatever that means, it may have been the day of rest, the seventh day, um, the enemy came and planted his seed in the garden. And this was the origin of tares. And in Hebrew, you know, tares were like, you know, genetically modified wheat. Basically, they, they look a lot like wheat. And it says that the wheat and tares grow, intertwine with each other until the end of the age, where the tares are finally thrown out and the wheat are collected. And this gives us the impression that this phenomenon begins early on and goes all the way to the end of the age, which is uh, the second coming. And it's very much uh, infiltrated into the human world to the point where I think the resurrected body of the Messiah is about dealing with this phenomenon we need a new body altogether that is how deep the infiltration is the wheat and tears are intertwined uh, the angels say well we'll take the tares out and god says well if you do that you also take my wheat out wait until the end of the age so it, it's as though maybe for instance you know a set of genes that you inherit are are wheats, but you know maybe your grandfather had had more tear genes and so you were in his genes. If he was plucked out, so would you be. So it's hard to tell, but it does suggest that the infiltration is deep, and the resurrection of the Messiah is is to counter this. Is uh, the way that his atonement is to is to undo the the curse of death and bring life back in.
1: All right, we've got to take and, a time out, Ali. We'll uh, we'll get back to that point. On the other side, Ali Siaditan, Think Again Productions, Gods in the Bible. Don't go away.
0: The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at
1: 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Strangeplanet.ca, that's the website. And you can just click on the Conspiracy Show button at the bottom of the page. That'll take you uh, to the radio page. And uh, you can learn all about the program there and upcoming guests and so forth. Ali C. stays with us. Uh, He has been with us for the duration. We appreciate that, Ali. How how are you holding up, by the way?
2: Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I think I just went through a – I woke up spur. I don't know. Maybe it's the coffee I had.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate (laughs) you hanging in there for the full – for the duration. Uh, So I I wanted to get back to the – Uh, the, the wheats and the tares, which is the, uh, you know, the, 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 the parable in the Bible, which, which you say points to this, this fallen angel human hybrid program, or what we call the alien human hybrid program. Um, it, it does sound eerily familiar to just before the flood when, when, uh, you know, Noah were the only pure blood left. Pure blood family left. No one is family. Right. So is that what right. we're, we're talking about here? That the the, the, the human yes. family has become so corrupted with fallen angel blood that instead of a flood this time, it's going to be the second coming to fix everything.
2: Yes, the, the, exactly. the The, the Bible um, has lots of ways it records the the what God's going to do. For instance, when Abraham is brought to this land, he's told, "Okay." Your children will inherit the land and these tribes will be judged. But those tribes that are mentioned are pretty much all of them, you know, nearly all, 90% of them, they're all Nephilim tribes. And when they, they finally come to take that land several hundred years after Abraham, they go into the land and, uh, and they come out and they say, oh, it's filled with giants with Nephilim. That's what it, that's the word they use and and the the sons of Anak, the Anakim, the Raphaim, the Zanzumim, all of these tribes that are not mentioned in the table of nations, they have no ancestry, and then the land is taken from them and given to the children uh, of God. And so I think this is kind of a, a, a small sample of what is going to happen on the scale of the earth as a whole, that this planet will be reserved for the sons of God and this will be removed from it And these tears that have now spread into the human family will be removed, and and those who have come to the Lord and who are His will be given a new body uh, and will continue in in that new form.
1: But if I have, let's say, one of my ancestors was part of this fallen angel human hybrid program, and I have fallen angel blood in me, does that mean that I can't be, that I am beyond salvation? Okay, I let me give
2: you, no. Uh, uh, let's let's look at the story of Goliath. Goliath had four brothers, and they were hired by various human tribes to be champions. This is something we have r- written records of it from the Middle East. These guys, Goliath, who was a descendant of the giants, it says, and his four brothers, well, they were also having sexual relations with other human females and creating babies who were further diluted down. You know. There was, like, the original guys who were very much clearly, you know, Nephilim, like Gilgamesh. And, but they had relations with humans. And over time, um, yeah, it spread into the human genome. Um, it, it's to the point where we all may be somehow infected. Um, but it doesn't mean that who we really are inside, uh, the children of the one that was made in the image of God, that that has erased it just means that there's something else in us uh, that that's why there's a battle in us. It's just not the knowledge of good and evil. There's more that has corrupted us, and that's what the resurrection uh, is about. A new body is offered, is exemplified, is lifted up, glorified, saying, "You too can receive this, and 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 you know be rid of this and be made whole again." And so, it, it's it's not that he was part of the program, but long ago, throughout the centuries as these guys kept you know connecting with us like you look at the birth of the greek world there are four tribes that are at the basis of the greek uh, culture the most famous is javan or ion that's you know the ionians uh, that are mentioned in the bible um, as being the sons uh, of japhet and each time you hear the word greek or greece in the bible it's actually the translation of javan that family but there was another one called the dorians and the dorians one of the main tribes they were known for having inside of them a line of kings that went back to hercules who was the son of zeus and so the idea is that these guys have been spreading their seeds into the human world and as the humanity has multiplied and grown has so has this infiltration that it has carried it, it, it's not just that you know your ancestor was part of a program it's just that the connection between the sons of God and their offsprings has been a part of the human heartbeat for the part of the human history. And it's really well documented, actually, once you look into it, once you realize it's not myth. So the contamination is deep and wide.
1: So what is the end game? Are they trying to is is uh, are the fallen angels trying to raise an army?
2: I think that the end game is to incorporate the one who was made in the image of God, and who had a destiny, and I think the enemy saw him as competition. The idea is to incorporate that very being, uh, because he's cast out, and he's now, in the sense, in the same side as these guys, who are also cast out, is to incorporate them into the world of these fallen angels by creating um, hybrids of themselves, of their own very important families. They have lords themselves, and our genes, to create these beings that in a way it's like a marriage, it's like a wedding. It brings two different beings, the Adamic race and their bloodlines, together into these new households, which are a representative both of our race and of theirs, and to gradually make this the new humanity, the one that was made in the image of God, no more, but the one that that has been infiltrated by the imagers of these fallen angels is to create a new new race and to uh, assimilate this new race into the great rebellion. Um, it's, a very, it's a big affront. It's saying, you know, this guy was tricked. He made a bad uh, decision. He was cast out. He belongs to me now. I have dominion over these people. I'm going to infiltrate them with our households, with our bloodlines. I'm going to place my king over them, and they're going to worship me as their god, and we're going to continue this rebellion all the way into the courts of heaven, God forbid. I think that is the general gist of it. It's not just an army. It is a complete takeover of the race and the creation of a new one.
1: Uh, and very quickly, we're almost out of time here, but bringing it back to the UFO phenomenon, uh, yeah. you know, the U.S. Navy recently admitted that the those those uh, UFO videos that were attached to um, the, uh, a fighter group off of San Diego. Um, th- those are real. They, they, they weren't intended to be released. They're real. It seems like disclosure is ramping up. What does that mean f- in terms of prophecy, very quickly?
2: I think that we're headed towards a deception where these fallen angels are reinventing themselves as modern-day gods or UFOs. There's going to be some crises. They may solve it. They may help us. It says that the Antichrist does lying signs and wonders and he makes fire come from the sky. So I think that, you know, he will show that he's in command, that these beings respond to him. And ultimately, uh, the end goal is to make God and his angels uh, appear as invading hostile aliens and to gather the world to war against them in the fields of Armageddon as prophesied uh, in the Bible.
1: Ali. Outstanding job. Thank you. Again, uh, people can go to thinkagainproductions.com to watch the uh, documentary and to subscribe to your newsletter. And also the the uh, the YouTube channel is called what?
2: Think Again Productions.
1: Think Again Productions. If All you right. just
2: double click on the video on the website, it'll take you to the YouTube channel.
1: Ali, thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. Thank you, Richard.
1: All right. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Owen Wolfe, Ryan White back next week with a brand new show John Barber in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark speak of the light what I say in a whisper proclaim from the rooftops move over Aphrodite I'm coming home good night
0: the truth is not out there it's right here the conspiracy show with Richard Sarrant from Zoomer Radio.
1: Ali, just take a moment and tell people how they can uh, screen your documentary UFOs Angels and Gods, subscribe to your newsletter, etc.
2: Everything is done for the website. Go to thinkagainproductions.com. Watch the documentary there, sign up for the newsletter and the YouTube channel. There's a lot more coming um, and you know, feel free to email me if you have any questions. You can also go to our Facebook page, UFOs, Angels, and Gods Facebook page, and, you know, like it. and you get. All, I, I post there all the time. And my Twitter handle is Iconoclast.
1: All right. Uh, we were talking about Zeus and Apollo.
2: Now, yes.
1: which one of these is Lucifer? Is it Apollo? I've heard Apollo mentioned. I've heard Zeus mentioned. Some have suggested that Apollo uh, or Apollyon... Uh, also, Abaddon uh, yeah, is, yeah. The, is the Antichrist, and Zeus is Satan. Straighten that out for us, if you can.
2: Uh, well, my opinion is that definitely Zeus is Satan, because in Revelation chapter 2, there are seven letters written to seven congregations in Asia Minor by you know Christ himself. These are seven letters that Jesus wrote, um, and they're in the New Testament, but they're tucked away in the book of Revelation, and when he writes to the church of Pergamum, he says to them, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And he mentions that actually twice to them. And so uh, it makes me think, okay, if he's talking about the city of Pergamum and, and saying that Satan's throne is there, uh, what could that be? Um, he, he says, to the angel of Messiah's community in Pergamum, write, thus says the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, yet you continue to hold firm to my name and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan resides. So Antipas was the bishop uh, of the congregation of that city. He was taken by the priests of Zeus to the altar of Pergamum, which was the most important altar to Zeus in the entire Greco-Roman world. It was a very important place. Sacrifices were offered 24-7 from all over the empire. And they put him inside of the bull, which was which is one of the symbols of, of Zeus, and you see it on the on the Euro you know, bill, uh, because Europa, you know, your bull Zeus becomes a bull and he kidnaps Europa. Um, and so they put him inside of this brazen bull. And then they light the the fire underneath the bull, and 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 they melt him. And while he's in there, and, and they put all these, you know, uh, it has these mechanisms in the bull to capture the groans and moans of the person being sacrificed at to this uh, the altar of Zeus, so that the bull comes to life. And and apparently uh, Antipas prayed for his congregation until his death. And this altar was really something. That was the, fantastic, and it was discovered there by this German engineer-turned-archaeologist, Karl Heumann, at the end of the 19th century. It was brought to Berlin. A, a museum was built exclusively for it so that its entirety could be displayed in, in Berlin. And then Albert Speer, who was the architect of Hitler, walked into the museum. He fell in love with it. And he decided that he was going to build a gigantic version of it um, in Nuremberg, where Hitler uh, stood on top of it, and where the bull was, where where the symbol of Zeus, uh, where these enemies would be sacrificed. Um, he put the microphone uh, where Hitler would speak, and it was from that altar that Hitler declared the Holocaust from the, from Nuremberg. So, so there's these interesting connections, but because Jesus points to this altar, I believe, um, and he, he says that this is Satan's throne, I think that's a very clear indication that he's equating Zeus with Satan. So that solves that problem. Wait a minute. But so Apollo, Satan's,
1: Satan's throne is still sitting in a museum in Berlin? Yes. Remarkable.
2: Because the Western world is the imperial seat. You know, as these angels of different territories, it is the Western world that is the one that he has kept for himself. That is why the greatest industry, the greatest knowledge, the greatest military, and the greatest financial power lies here.
1: Hmm. Um, And what about Apollo? Uh,
2: So Apollo, the sun god, he is one of top-ranking fallen angels. Uh, For instance, if if people want to Google the code of Hammurabi, which is one of the most ancient codes uh, in existence, one of the most ancient laws, and a very influential system of law, um, you can see that there is, um, uh, at the very top of the of the code, and there's two copies of this, one in the Louvre Museum in Paris, and the other is in the Museum of uh, Pre-Islamic History in Tehran, and I've seen that one there. Um, there is Hammurabi the king standing in front of a man, a giant man sitting on a throne, handing a scroll to him. That is Shams the sun god who will be known as apollo to the greeks and he is giving the code of the kingdom of hammurabi to him he's called the god of justice and and the entire uh first portion of the code is basically singing praises to him and so there's a, he has a very, there's a you know a, an important territory that uh a portion of the world that is under his command there's the moon god um uh, who has different names nana sin And he has another portion uh, 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 of the planet under his command. So these beings, they have command over different regions of the earth. Um, It says in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 8 and 9, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, which is an idiom for fallen angels, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And of course, the church is grafted into the new covenant. For a portion from the Gentiles are grafted in. But these guys continue to have kind of a role. And that's what um, the war is about. And that's what I think Paul is referring to in his letter to the Ephesians, where he says that we don't struggle with flesh and blood, but with principalities uh, you know, in high places. He's referring to this continued spiritual battle, But it is happening through uh, the very institutions, uh, the territories, the nations, the empires, the very history that we are all living. This is our story, after all.
1: Right, because you mentioned the bull, which is a symbol for Zeus, is featured prominently in the European Union. We have Europa on the back of the bull on on, uh, some of the currency. Um, yes, um,
2: and then we, we and the we eagle, mentioned. another symbol of Zeus. The eagle is on all the flags from Moscow to D.C. So between the eagle and the and the bull, you can see that the industrial world from Moscow to all through the Europe into North America is the territory that bears his symbol.
1: And and Apollo. I mean, we had the Apollo space program, and Apollo is uh, yes. So to, that's interesting. Why choose Apollo? It,
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Why? Uh, um, starting, you know, in the 18th century, there was a whole thing that started with Apollo was the muse. Apollo was the one that, you know, inspired songs. Even uh, Beethoven, you know, when he wrote the Ode to the Joy, you know, all these guys, you know, they, they, in their letters, they, 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 they talk about how they hope that Apollo gives them, uh, inspires them. Um, he, he, he has been a very important character. Now, is he connected to the Apollyon And there's a, you know, a facility uh, in, uh, what's that city in Switzerland? Uh, It's where the um, nuclear particle accelerator is built. Uh, Oh, CERN,
1: in CERN. CERN,
2: CERN. yes, CERN. So uh, CERN is built on the land that was used in ancient times for the Temple of Apollo. And if you kind of Google the opening ceremony of CERN, I mean, someone mentioned that to me, you know, a couple of years ago and said, hey, look at the open ceremony of CERN and pray before you look at it because it's very strange. And I was like, well, how strange could it be? It's, it's, the, it's the opening ceremony of a, of a physics facility.
1: Right, the Hadrian Collider.
2: You look at it and it is definitely very strange The, the what's going on. And then when as you kind of go into the place, there's... Um, all kinds of quotations from various scriptures hanging down uh, on flags. And, and so some people think, okay, maybe there's more happening here because these angels, these fallen angels, you know, they may be behind the industrial revolution and the digital age. Ultimately, the idea is to put implants where humanity becomes digitized and through AI connects to them. And, and who knows where it's going? I mean, these are conjectures. We'll have to kind of see it unfold. However... They are behind knowledge. that's that's what we see from the very beginning they hand down knowledge. It, the knowledges they're handing down is to pervert the world for their purposes um, and then perhaps to prepare the world to meet the God Almighty on the fields of Armageddon in Israel at his return, perhaps to upgrade our technology to the level of angelic technology so that we can actually have this war. I mean, it says that in the Bible in many places that the world's going to go to war, with the second coming of God. All right. That sounds crazy, right? How is that going to happen?
1: We'll talk about that on the other side. We're coming up on the uh, top of the hour. We'll open up the phone lines, questions, comments, my conversation with Ali C. Gods in the Bible continues. Stay right there.
0: Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarat on Zoomer Radio.
1: We are back for Hour 2. And thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, the electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your cabin in the woods. A big how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM here in Toronto. Hi to everyone tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America and those of you who are streaming us on ZumaRadio.ca and, of course, the YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. And just a reminder, no live stream tonight. We will be live streaming next week. Comedian journalist, television pioneer, Emmy Award winner John Barber will be live in studio for the entire two hours. Ali Siadatan stays with us this hour as we continue to discuss the gods of the Bible, and we will uh, make the phone lines available to you for questions and comments. Uh, So, we were talking about uh, Zeus and Apollo and the the Greek pantheon and these gods and how they were, in fact, the fallen angels— And they were given dominion over the world, uh, except for Israel. And God sort of carved that out and said, no, this is mine, hands off. But before we proceed, though, I want to talk about some of the other gods that are named. And uh, one is Baal, B-A-A-L. He was uh, a god that was worshipped in Canaan. And we've sort of seen his name resurface recently because there is something called the Arch, of Baal, and it's been kind of on a worldwide tour uh, the last three, four years. What's going on there, Ali? Uh,
2: um, so, Baal, Baal, it was kind of an honorific uh, title. It means owner or lord. And in the Bible, the plural is used for all of these beings. They're called the Balim, uh, which means the lords. So, it, it's, it's um, it's a, it's a title um, of these beings, right? It's, it's not necessarily uh, a specific one. So if it says, for instance, in a passage that these guys were worshipping Baal, it would be like saying in English, these guys were worshipping the gods. But, and these guys, I guess, are idols because um, the worship of the creature over the worship of the creator is the definition of idol worship. According to Paul in his letter to the Romans, so in that sense, it is a reemergence, uh, a reassertion of these beings. However, we have been entangled with them all through history. They have they have come uh, through many faces. Uh, they have come through, uh, you know, the church. Even they have taken, you know, the worship of saints. The um, who are these guys uh, that that people are praying to? the Queen of Heaven, the Balim, false religions, I mean, they come in many, many, many ways. So it's a re-emergence reemergence of of the reassertion of their power in an age where uh, I would say that we're no longer in a Judeo-Christian culture. We are kind of reverting back to an open form of polytheism in our culture, um, no longer is the god of the bible seen as like you know the supreme form of spirituality in this culture and so they're becoming more and more open and i think the bible talks about an age uh, of darkness where it is the antichrist as you were saying doesn't come to a world that doesn't know god it comes to a world that has forgotten god and that is why it can be deceived that's why it can be seduced and i think that these are the signs of the times, if you will.
1: So the the gods of the the Old Testament, the Bible, they sort yeah. of went underground. Now we dismiss yes. them as myth and legend. But you're saying they're in in some cases they are reasserting themselves within the Christian narrative.
2: They have always they they, re, they in, injected themselves into the Christian narrative early on. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says. That he forbids the worship of angels, and you think, why would that be spoken? Why would he even have to say to the Colossians, by the way, you know, don't worship these, you know, uh, these angels? Um, well, obviously there was a problem, and so um, in the post-secular age, which is begins in the age of enlightenment where a new understanding of reality is going to be propagated through the republics and through the school systems that are no longer dependent on the church for a, a worldview. Uh, an alternative worldview is created. We're no longer in the heavens and on the earth. We're no longer visited by the host of the heavens, uh, and we ourselves are no longer descendants of this heavenly realm. We are just uh, monkeys and we can only believe what we see, and we can rely on these bodies of knowledge that were handed down by these guys, but they're rebranded as science, and then they're kind of juxtaposed in uh, opposition to faith. So, so we have kind of a rethinking of reality, and in this rethinking of reality, one of the ways that these guys uh, appear to us now is as UFOs. So we're suddenly seeing something that has been here from the dawn of history, from the very Genesis, but it appears as though they just arrived. It's like, wow, what's what's that in the sky? What are those lights? Right? We don't we don't connect the dots that, you know, these guys have been here and and they've always had these chariots, whatever they are, I don't know exactly, but it's real. And 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 so we that's another way they're asserting themselves. And then there is also false religions, um Uh, You know, there's polytheistic religions that continue to thrive. Uh, And then there's the secret societies. And um, secret societies, basically, when the Holy Spirit is poured over the nations, the worship of these beings goes underground. And then we see them reemerge inside of these secret societies that are full of their symbols and their theology. For instance, the Masons, you know, do believe that Satan is the good guy. Um, and that God was the bad guy. You know, the, Satan wanted to give knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to give the tree of knowledge. He wanted to empower mankind. Yet God is the one that wanted to keep man, you know, weak. That's, that's the narrative that, that unfolds. That's what, He's a being of light. I mean, he's called a shining one. He wanted to shine. So um, these organizations in the secular age um, are disguised in different bodies of the United Nations uh, I mean, all the universities, all the Ivy League universities have these special societies that are off-limits, and there's all kinds of knowledge, you know, taught in these societies. Many of the graduates, you the know, Skull and Bones is very famous uh, from Yale. These guys, you know, end up in, 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 in the legislature of the United States, in the seat of presidency, and their ideas, even the scientists, you know, whether it's Galileo, whether it's Isaac Newton, all of these guys actually were part of these societies and knowledge and ideas came into their minds that shaped the world as we know it and redefined the human narrative in opposition to the biblical story that was handed down by God. And so there are influences all over the place, I'd say.
1: But, but doesn't that almost make Christianity sound anti-science, that God didn't want us to have knowledge and only because of the the, the lesser gods – you know, were we able to domesticate plants and animal, animals? Were we able to develop mathematics? It, it sounds like Christianity is anti-progress.
2: Um, man uh, and woman, humanity, was created with the, uh, with the ability to have all kinds of bodies of knowledge. We see that Cain built a city, which means that he understood architecture, he understood how to measure things, geometria, Um and we see that they they were given plants that they could actually cultivate um, and from the beginning. The fact that some of these uh, Mesopotamian tablets assign the giving of certain things to these beings, first of all, that may not be true, meaning that sometimes they take for themselves the deeds of God. They assign it to themselves. So you got to kind of... You know their existence was real, but not everything about what is recorded about them. Some of it was propaganda, if you will. Second of all, um, uh, there was a connection between them and God, meaning that you know, as you were saying, that these beings were given dominion and they were given they were giving things to the nations they were ruling. But perhaps at the beginning, the idea was that they were doing this on behalf of God. In the Book of Enoch, for instance, when all of these beings are arrested, um, and then their offsprings are killed, uh, God says to the angels, but leave mankind the knowledge you know that, that they have received. Um, and we see that but Noah and his children uh, restart civilization, and they have uh, bricks and mortar, and, and, and they can build things. So man has always been knowledgeable, and God's intention is to really um, cultivate humanity to its highest potential, But first of all, we have to receive atonement, we have to receive a new body, we have to enter the presence of God, and our education will continue. We are made uh, to be, it seems, according to this story, at the very height of the created order, ruling even angels in due time. So I don't think God's intention is to hold us back at all. I think God's intention is to teach us uh, His way of understanding things at a time that suits Him. We are His children, uh, these guys had an agenda they wanted to use us for their own agenda it's a different thing altogether
1: so if the fallen angels are behind the the modern day ufo phenomenon um are these are these physical craft and physical uh, beings uh and why would they need these chariots if they are uh, aren't aren't the fallen angels sort of omniscient and uh Uh, uh, and and essentially spiritual beings?
2: Well, that's an interesting question because there's a way that we have imagined these beings throughout, you know, church history. And then we have the paintings of the Renaissance artists that have shaped our thinking. Um, But once I actually started to look into this topic in the middle of the 1990s, I discovered two things. One, that the Bible spoke of these beings in a very different way than the than the way the culture that our culture kind of imagined them, two that throughout the history of Christianity, let's say as far as the West is concerned, um, people hadn't really thought too deeply about these parts of the Bible. These parts of the Bible were not stuff that people really focused on. So actually, there was a very uh, simplistic ideas about these things when you actually looked at the Bible and you looked at the history that is handed down by the nations that records these beings and their interactions you realized first of all that uh they are scientists that they are physical beings that they are uh, people who are beings that understand the laws of the created order more than we do that's what makes them more advanced so to speak and that we are of the world of god and angels and that from the beginning you look into the story of genesis There is metallurgy mentioned at the very beginning, like the Sons of Cain, Uh, music, tent dwelling, that humanity, even in in its original uh, uh, creation that was very close to God and angels, already was trafficking in the kinds of lifestyle that is born of bodies of knowledge. So you realize that, wait a second, the world of God and angels and, and humanity is a part of that world is a world that is made of uh, beings who understand God's created order, the laws of physics, um, and and its secrets and insights, like the breaking of the atom or the sending of shuttles into the heavens, and who can actually operate through them. This is more the way the whole story has always been. These guys have always been this type of a being. This is how angels have always been. We have imagined them in our in our minds, in in a different way, and handed that into the culture. And now we come across the facts, and then there's a discrepancy between the way we had imagined them and the way they've always been. So this is more like an upgrade of, of knowledge. Now we're waking up and realizing, wow, these guys use chariots, even God. It says that God will return in his chariots or vehicles. It says that. Now, we don't want to turn it into the USS Enterprise. We don't know exactly how these things operate. Uh, where they come from, what their capabilities, but definitely the real things that carry other beings. I mean, the, the word in Hebrew is rekab or merkava, which essentially means something that carries, you know, like the donkey that carried the Son of God, and there are also is a cloud into which he ascended that carried him into to, to an- into the Ancient of Days, to God himself. So there's definitely something real, but the fact that we can actually break the atom. Or that we can, you know, send shuttles into space. These are not simple things. These are deep, deep mysteries, and a profound understanding of the created order. The fact that we can digest this knowledge and and move through it, and that these guys have knowledge like this, and they can actually give some to us and add to us, and we can converse with them and all that stuff. This shows how advanced we really are, you know, as far as the creation is concerned.
1: So then angels are physical beings, they're not spiritual beings.
2: Yes, there are angels that are physical beings. There are also beings of spirit that exist. There is the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, which are the demons. There is also spirits in the council of God, because when, uh, in the book of Kings, when God asks the question, there's a spirit that says, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And so we see that, that there, there are also beings of, of physical nature. Uh, Now, the church has always imagined that these beings take a physical form when they interact with us, but I have to say that is beyond the scope of the recorded scripture. That's an assumption. Um, They may be physical all along. I mean, when the Messiah came back from the dead, he made a point. He said, come and touch my wounds and see that I have flesh and bone. It says that in the Gospel of Luke, for instance, that I am not a ghost, and then he asked to be given food to eat. So I would say if the physical a body is good enough for the resurrected you know son of god the representative of god in the human world the manifestation of god in the human world well why would angels not also have bodies and and if the sons of god you know have relations with us well perhaps because them and us we have a common origin god and so perhaps even god has given something of his own physical nature to us uh, perhaps genes were handed down I, I don't have any problem because I don't, I don't adhere to this. It, it's a long story, but basically uh, early on through the influence of Gnosticism and, and one teacher in particular, Origen, who taught Augustine, and then uh, things that happened in the Middle Ages, gradually Western Christianity became very focused on a spiritualized view of reality. And it kind of went away from the Hebraic view of, the, of, of, of physical spirituality, which is what we read in the Bible. And so now we're kind of a little bit um, struggling with, with the way we have imagined things and the way things are. And we're going, well, how come? The answer is we imagined it wrong, that this, the physical world um, is, can very much be the setting of the tale of the Bible. It is not a simplistic place we find ourselves in. That doesn't mean there's not beings of light and there's not beings of spirit. And who knows how vast the created order is and how complex? I don't know. But definitely angels can be physical and be physical all the time, not just take a shape to be, you know, interact with us. This may be the actual shape they always have. Like the angel who sat on the tomb of Christ after he rolled it. Why would the Bible you know, indicate that in detail, that he sat on the tomb? Well, it shows that he was physical. Right. You know, the angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and people wanted to have sexual relations with them because they were used to having sexual relations with angels Sodom was one of the places in the post flood world where this whole phenomenon of, of the Nephilim was reemerging, And so they, they had physical form, and, and, and they were seductive, and they were attractive. There are angels that go and destroy the Assyrian army. There, there, there are angels, you know, uh, um, at, sitting in the tomb of, of Christ. Uh, it says in the book of Hebrews, some have entertained angels unawares so there's an ample evidence in the Bible that shows angels as physical beings. It is the assumption of the church that these guys took that shape just for a moment to interact with us. So essentially, that's something that Christian thinkers have added to the Bible. They've just and, and to the point where that's become part of our thinking naturally, but actually it's not in the text. The text doesn't say that this guy just took this shape to come and talk to this guy. It presents the guy as physical. End of story. So until proven otherwise, I have no reason to believe that that angel is not always physical. You know, even even Jesus is resurrected in a physical body, and he's a very you know advanced divine angelic being. You right. know, we've got so. about
1: ninety seconds here to the break, but let me just ask you, getting back to the the these craft, these UFOs, uh, if they are being if the if they're being piloted essentially by uh, fallen angels. Where are they coming from? Are, are they are they interdimensional? Where are they Where are they? I don't know.
2: From? That's the thing. I don't. I don't know exactly the makeup of the creator order. I don't even know how my car is put together. So, but I can tell you that you know they're coming. It's very important to understand that even though the majority of the UFO phenomenon is fallen angelic, but I believe that even the angels of God also use these vehicles. This is a cosmic tale, even you look in the book of Enoch, the word watcher is used for the bad guys and for the good guys that are mentioned in that book, Raphael and other angels. They're also called the watchers. Right. So, the, the both sides of the fence, have. that's why the, the Michael and Gabriel fight the Prince of Persia and Greece, because they have similar capabilities, that's why a fight is possible. They all use these vehicles, and so does God. It says that in Isaiah 66, verse 15, I think.
1: That's interesting, because I remember uh, some footage. We're going into a break here, but a footage uh, from the International Space Station, which appeared to show... Uh, yes. these, these uh, two crafts sort of almost in a dogfight, and maybe those were angels and demons fighting it out. Yes, we'll com- we put that, Ali, we put that just- in our
2: documentary from Excellent. the
1: Columbia. All right, we'll talk about that when we come back. Ali Siadatan, Gods of the Old Testament. Stay with us in your phone calls. Coming up.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air.